Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 984, with Cynthia Wong. We've been open for five years, and it's forced me to become a much better person. I don't want to say better person, but a more understanding, empathetic person. And then I draw on a lot of things that I learned cooking and working before. Because I think when you work for other people, you can learn a lot, but you know, you're having to kind of fit into their mold of what they're doing and their ways of behavior on this and all that kind of thing. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by OneHuddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. With OneHuddle, you can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. OneHuddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will train translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddles game shop, 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books, and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp this episode is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. Founded by Josh Sharkey, a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 years, Mies organizes, shares, preps, and scales your recipes like never before. Plus, you can get laser accurate food cost and nutrition analysis faster than you could even imagine. If you're a chef, mixologist, consultant, operator, or generally if you manage a recipe intended for professional kitchens, Mies is built for you. Get started by visiting getmees.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com 
forward slash unstoppable. And as a listener of Restaurant Unstoppable podcast, you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today. With invoice processing, you can link all of your purchases to ingredients in your recipes and the most current cost will be automatically reflected in every recipe. Revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with Mies. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Grand Chancellor and Head Janitor of Life Raft Treats, Cynthia Wong. Cynthia, you're feeling unstoppable today. Um, every day. I have no choice. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. We're here because James London had amazing things to say about Aww. you. It's not every day I get to sample my guests' treats before I interview them. We did get to sample your treats. We had some amazing chicken that's not really chicken, that's but right. really ice cream yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> that looks like chicken. Mm-hmm. It looks a lot like chicken, it does. surprisingly. Yeah. We had some shrimp, and mm-hmm. we also had a little a banana. Yep. And you are talented, my well, friend. Well, thank you. There, these things are so delicious. I cannot wait wait to dive into who you are and how you built this business awesome. but let's get that motivation okay inspirational yeah. mm-hmm. ball rolling okay. with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us uh i say to my whole team here it's all i got which is basically i'm trying my hardest i'm gonna <laughs> try to take you along with me wherever we go hopefully it's not into the gutter um but it's the sort of thing of it's like i don't believe in putting up any kind of bullshit story for anyone involved with any part of the business, whether they're working with us or I'm selling to them or I need to purchase something from them. I just, I'm kind of over all that shit. So all I got is kind of like, this is what it is. I hope, I hope you like it because I, you know, yeah, I think it's good just to be you. This is all I got. This is this is. I think yeah. we forget that our businesses are an extension of us. They are, um, and you don't want the business to completely hinge on you. Exactly. But at the end of the day, like behind every great restaurant I like to say is a great person behind every great business is a great person right and they're injected into that it's an extension of them Mm -hmm. so this is you this is all you got take it or leave it so where does it make sense to start sharing your story oh god um well it's interesting to be talking to a podcast called restaurant unstoppable because this business here was my way of getting out of restaurants that's why it's called life raft treats because I was working in the last restaurant and I was like I think I'm done with restaurants. I think I'm done with this life. I'm working 65 to 75 hours a week and working for some dude who is telling me I'm not doing enough. Right. So I'm done with this. Yeah. And so in my head, I was like, I'm going to build a life raft. I'm going to paddle away from this shit. And that's why it's called Life Raft Treats. Yeah. So, and I think, especially in the lane that you're in, mm-hmm. uh, baking, pastry, mm-hmm. uh, like that, that, I think people in your role get it the worst. Yeah, because you're usually working for multiple different restaurants. You're mm-hmm. being pulled in a bunch of different ways. You're usually contracted out to do something. Yeah, and they just people are just usually there first. Mm-hmm. Like you, you got to like think about everybody else. Like they don't. You're an afterthought. Yes. And I, I lived with somebody who was a pastry chef, so I, yeah. I've heard the horror stories. Yeah, of just like you have to go into somebody else's kitchen. They usually give you a corner. Yeah, you know, and you, you do this for space. Five other people. Smells like garlic. They yeah. don't want to pay you properly. Right. Yeah. I don't keep going on that if you want. Yeah, well, I mean, you <laughs> let know, it out, sister. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of this thing where it's like I, restaurants are just—they're on the brink of something weird, and we don't know what it is yet. And it's going to be interesting to watch a lot of things fall away. And unfortunately, I think a big thing that's going to go away and probably never come back is pastry chefs. Yeah. Except for really large, well-funded restaurants that can make that sort of statement that are willing to do that because no one can afford it anymore. Right. You know, no one's got the space. No one's got the the, the time. Um, no one can staff it. 
the way it needs to be staffed. If yeah. you are really going to make an effort and have a pastry chef, that person's going to cost a lot of money. Um, and if you're not going to, then you might as well make it yourself. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, I think you had the right idea by mm-hmm. breaking out and going wholesale. It makes right. way more sense. Do what you do. Find yeah. your lane. Find your, you know, the way you, like the what you, find your niche, right? And then yeah. find businesses that want it. And But like, yeah. Don't conform to anybody else, but what you want to do. I, I'm, exactly. I don't know if I'm maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves. I don't want to make assumptions either. No, because um, you know we're kind of at another pivotal point right now. Um, we did service a lot of restaurants, and Chubby Fish was our first, and our and it is our always. We're always going to as long as Chubby, Chubby Fish exists, we will always make things just for them. Because James from the very beginning, and he he didn't really even know who I was, but he was just like, do whatever you want. It's going to be great. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. And so I got to be really creative and do what I wanted to and be really seasonal. And I really love that. And then suddenly after the pandemic, there's just explosion in our growth. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of people were sitting at home on their phones looking at social media and there was this weird product like chicken. <laughs> and so it kind of took off and the timing on that was really good. Um, but we've now come to the point where... Uh, Chubby Fish is the only restaurant we are going to be okay. making treats for because we just, with the volume of what we're shipping and distributing and all these other things, we just can't make things for other restaurants anymore. And, you know, and a lot of it was sort of this thing where people, and I, I understand this completely, they didn't want just, you know, sort of our stock items. They wanted something made just for them. And so it was sort of becoming this thing where I was like, becoming their pastry chef again, which I understood. And I was, you know, I was really flattered by that, but just with the size of the business and the scale of operations, we just couldn't stop what we were doing and make something just for one business and make it in a small quantity that we would have to hold. And, you know, but chubby is so busy and it's such a great great marketing for you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We've traveled to other cities. People said, Hey, you know, I think I've had, Oh yeah, I've had your ice cream at chubby fish. And so that's just been a really nice symbiotic relationship where, you know, I I feel like James and I kind of maybe think with something close to the same brain sometimes. Um, and so I that's why I appreciate his food so much. And that's why I love being part of that restaurant awesome. so much. Yeah. And I can't wait to get into your evolution as a chef, as mm. a pastry chef, mm-hmm. as a business owner. Sure. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there, there's a reason why the, the mission of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower and transform the industry because there's a lot of stuff that isn't great about our industry. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and we can be better. Uh, Absolutely, and uh, hopefully through hearing your story, we can be inspired to try to be better. Right? Sure, hopefully. So, where did, like, so when did you know? Like, like, did you go to school for culinary? Were you? I always knew. This? I was one of those freaky little kids that was like, I want to be a baker, and anything I played with, I turned into some sort of bakery setup. And um, you know, my parents were sort of your typical um, Asian immigrants. You know, my dad. Are you first generation? Yeah, I was born. I was actually born in Charleston and then kind of grew up other places. But um, my dad uh, is a retired physician. So that was that classic route of education, steady job, 401k, get a nice house, send the kids to private school thing. And, you know, my mom and dad, being great parents, they set out this path for us. And all we had to do was basically follow the path. My sisters did that. Um, I was going to say, was that the path you wanted? No, because I was I was like the little freaky one. I was the youngest of uh, three girls, and I was that's like, "That's good to be the youngest, isn't it?" Yeah, because they were the just youngest. you know they're kind of tired. They're like, "God, whatever." And whatever I was like, "I want to be a pastry chef." They were like, mm, "You know, maybe not." And I, I totally understand it now. As like you know, a parent of two boys, one of them really likes to cook, and I'm like, "This is just for fun." Yeah, this is this is just for fun. You can you can be an architect, or you can be. A doctor, a lawyer, but just, you know, have a nice kitchen at your house. And I sound like my mom and dad. I'm like, oh, my God. 
but I really, really wanted to do it. And um, the closest I got to my parents accepting that was going to art school, which I got kicked out of. Um, Why? Because uh, I never time. went to class. Oh. I was just like, <laughs> I'm too cool for art school. No one understands me. But in truth, the whole truth of behind that was that I didn't have anything to say. And I was in this art school with kids that were... You put up a little bit of a shield, were you? Yeah, they had real. They were real artists. They had something to say. And I didn't. I like to make things with my hands, but I didn't have anything to say. And so... I would argue that you are an artist. You, you just manifest differently. Sure, maybe so. But yeah. <laughs> at that point, you know, with like paint and yeah. printmaking, whatever, I just I was just like, I just have nothing to do here. I've, I don't have anything to say. I can't come up with anything. So I got kicked out of art school and then sort of wound my way back around to going to culinary school and started off baking bread in San Francisco for a little bit. Um, went to culinary school and... What kind of bread were you baking? Sourdough. I was making Levan um, in San Francisco and it was an overnight job and I was like, ha ha, they hired me. I don't know what I'm doing. They're like, ha ha, you're working overnight. So it kind of worked out where <laughs> it was a hard job to fill, um, but I was young and had a lot of energy. So they let me figure it out and I was, I'm really grateful for that. So like when was it approximately on the timeline? That oh my God. Going back. Um, how old am I now? It was like almost 30 years 30 ago. 30 years. So we're looking almost. at like the late 90s. Yeah. 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 Or mid to late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Mid to late 90s. So um, so you get kicked out of art school. Mm-hmm. What's your mindset? You're saying, well, screw this. I don't, I don't care if you don't want me to go to culinary school. Like, I'm going to do it anyway. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this culinary path anyway. Yeah. It got to the point where my parents were like, okay, fine. We'll support this then. Like, I, you're really serious about this. So I was like, yeah, I really am. They're like, okay, good. So they helped me um, move out to San Francisco and help me get started and all that. And then after baking bread for a little bit, um, I was kind of like, uh, you know, I think that I need to learn more about this beyond bread. And I was basically just making one kind of bread. What was that first experience life? Did you did you fall in love with it? Did you I enjoy did. It? I loved what it. What did you love about it? Um, I loved working my hands. I loved getting to the point where you have done something so many times that it's a muscle memory. And then it's almost like a meditative state where your mind just leaves the room. Yeah. To this day, my most favorite part of working in the restaurant mm-hmm. industry was uh, at a pizza place and just every morning standing around, shooting the shit, mm-hmm. making pizza balls. Yeah. Something about that. Just yeah. camaraderie of just mindless. Yep. Like you're seeing mm-hmm. progress as the, the big dough ball gets smaller. Right. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're actually seeing your effort go like you feel like you're actually doing something. Yeah. And you're just talking and then, like you get so fast at it. And something, I don't know why it's so... I don't know. This isn't my time to shine. It's your time to shine. No, no. Like, something about that. Yeah, it's it's almost like um, I I don't want to say yoga because it's, it's not, but it's something. Yeah, it's meditative. It's something in that family of uh, yeah flow, mind body maybe. connection or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, at this point, are you like I'm in? Like this is what I want to do. This is like let's make a career out of this. And yeah, leaven isn't the same as pastry like no. desserts. Yeah. So. No, I was into that. I was really into the bread, but there wasn't really anywhere to go with it. Um, it was mostly me and some other person doing it part-time. And so there wasn't really anyone to learn from at that point. And I wanted to learn more. So I talked my parents into helping me move to France and I went to culinary school there. Um, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Totally. It was really nice. So Um, how long were you working at the bakery overnight before? About two and a half years, two, two and a half years, something like that. So you go to France. Yep. Went Uh, to France. How long was that program? Um, it was about a year. Uh huh. It was outside of Paris, um, at a place called Le Notre. Okay. And um, the school itself was fine, but it was more going abroad when you're young and you're too dumb to be scared of anything, and so you get to absorb everything. Yeah. yeah. So, kind of, 
let's get into like I like to use this analogy of getting in an airplane, zooming mm-hmm. up to thirty thousand feet, and just mm-hmm. flying over your career. Mm-hmm. Help me understand kind of the way you got the path you took to get here, without mm-hmm. getting into any detail about the places you've stopped along the way. Mm-hmm. Just let, let's fly across your career right now. To help me understand where we should just focus our conversation. Okay. Well. After I went to culinary school, um, I met my husband in Spain and decided I didn't want to work in restaurants because I was so in love with him. I didn't want to like pull restaurant hours. And then, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, eventually moved back to the States, finished college, and then found myself um, kind of like f- restaurant adjacent. I did some food styling for a little bit. Then worked in some restaurants as a pastry chef. Um, you know, was in Atlanta for about 12 years. I went pretty well. Uh, had some kids. Moved abroad, moved back, um, was in a restaurant in, in Asheville, and then moved to Charleston. And when I moved to Charleston, that was about uh, seven, eight years ago. Okay. And that was the last restaurant, and I kind of knew it was the last restaurant. You just restaurant. killed that. Do you know how hard it is for people to do that sometimes? They start talking about their career, and they instantly start ta- like getting into detail, and it's so hard. <laughs> you just crushed it. That's exactly what I was looking for. Well, I'm an impatient person, so when I want someone to like give me a summary, I'm like, give me the summary. Yeah. I don't want the Russian novel. I, I want have, the notes. I have a t- like a, a t- like bullet points timeline right now. Uh, and so looking back at your yeah. career like you just did, mm-hmm. culinary school, Spain, college, mm-hmm. food styling, pastry chef, up to this point, where did you grow the most as a professional? Um, probably doing this. Probably owning my own business. It's We've been open for five years. And okay. um, it's forced me to become a much better person. I don't want to say better person, but a more understanding, empathetic person. Um, and then I draw on a lot of things that I learned cooking and working before. Um you know, I think, yeah, yeah. because I, I think when you work for other people, you can learn a lot, but you know, you're having to kind of fit into their mold of what they're doing and their ways of behavior almost and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So what about, I mean, we usually don't talk about the food here at restaurant stop because mm-hmm. well, you're open in a restaurant or you're in the food and beverage industry. Right. I hope you can cook. That's a kind of a given, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But can you do all the other stuff? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So is there any of the, all the other stuff? that you had to learn or were you always just in your lane focusing on the food the whole time? Um, no, I definitely had to learn how to, um, not be an old school asshole. Okay. You know, um, there's definitely things, um, rubs off on you. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. And I think that the restaurant industry is particularly tough for women because you want to be tough and you want to be able to absorb all the blows in a restaurant and not be the person who's crying on the line or crying in the walk-in or whatever kind of thing. And it gets to the point where you just get this really hard shell and you are not a very pleasant person to be around. Where did that shell form? Just being in restaurants and working mostly with men and, you know, being an Asian woman, I think um, people have quite frequently think that I'm going to be timid or, you know, I can't defend myself. (laughs) I, for some reason, am intimidated by Asian women. I think they're always so impressive. You know, like, (laughs) well, you know, I mean, because I think it's that sort of, um, you know, when you're a minority, you have to work twice as hard and be twice as smart and hope that you get half as much credit and half as much money. Yeah, I think, and and from what I understand with Asian culture, with with the parents, they Mm -hmm. really instill discipline work ethic. Oh my God, yes, and just I knowing that, yes, and, and like. 
just being like, I don't know if I want to compete with this person. They're probably going to bury me. No, it's, you know, it's true. It's, it's really true. And, um, I, I, you know, it's my, my husband's a big friendly white guy and parenting our children. I'm definitely the the bad cop (laughs) because to me, it's this view of, I have to raise this child to be a functioning adult. You know, I'm sorry. He's not happy right now, but he's got to become an adult. And that's the way my parents raised me. And until you are a fully formed adult, it's very hard but then when you are an adult, you're like, ah, I have about three more gears than anybody else has. Like, I just, I'm twice the age of a lot of people that work here with me, and they will not work me under the table, ever. Yeah. Uh, so, at what point did you realize you kind of had to break down this tough exterior shell? This, this, this. I mean, you kind of got formed into this because of the way the industry was. Yeah. Um, you know, the upbringing of the discipline from your parents. Like, when did you realize you had to kind of shed that exterior shell? Um. As I as I went along in the restaurants, I started to shed more and more of it. And um, when I started working with Ryan Smith at Empire State South in Atlanta, that was a big turning point. Um, and he, even though he was, I think he's probably about 10 years younger than me, something like that. He's a good deal younger than me. He was just a much more evolved human being. Um, he never yelled. But if he was disappointed in you, you could tell. And that was worse than How ever getting tell, yelled at. How can body language look on his face? Yeah. Um, you know, but he was such a, he is such a sweet human being. He's so talented and it started to change things in my head where I was like, I don't want to be a screamer. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be more like that. And it took a while to sort of switch gears and get into there because, you know, yelling and screaming and doing all that stupid shit. It's just, it's a function of insecurity. Well, let's get into, let's, let's unpackage this. Like, sure. What are the benefits of taking that Ryan Smith approach to the leadership? Really paint the picture of the type of leadership leader he was and how that is better than what you were used to. Well, if you, if you fucked up, you would know that you fucked up. And there was no arguing with it. You know, it wasn't like, oh, this wasn't really my fault. Someone else left this thing out or whatever. It was just like, I fucked this up and I have to take responsibility for it. And ultimately, if you never do anything else, it just makes you a better cook of having to be responsible for yourself and seeing what you're doing wrong and figuring that out. But also as a human, you know, it's just like if you yell at work, people just shut down. You don't get what you need. No one gets what they need. They just shut down. You just skunked that person for the rest of the day. Whatever it was that you were pissed off about, about whatever they did. Yeah. If you confront them, if you yeah. berate them, if you break them down, right. they're garbage yeah. for and the rest of the that day. That doesn't do anything. It doesn't change our lives in any way. Whereas yeah. if you, you know, you can be very firm um, in a way where people think that maybe you're yelling, but you're just being very firm and very direct. Yeah, candid. And not being yeah. cuddly. Um, people can learn from that and they can grow from that and you can help someone go along their way. And to me, the best thing is when someone has been working with you and they wind up doing whatever it is that you've been doing together better than you ever did. That's the goal. Right? That is ultimately the yeah. goal to have people to take people along with you and, and help them yourself. on their way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And do their own thing later on, whatever it is, if you know, they are going to make artisan ice cream somewhere or they decide they want to make candles or whatever. I hope that they learned things here about how to deal with all that. And the only way that they will learn is if you are humane and try to check yourself at the door and your ego and you deal with it as a full grown adult. So you, you spent a big chunk, you said 12 years in mm-hmm. Atlanta, a yeah. big chunk of your career there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you worked for Ryan Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else did you work with? Um, I worked for Billy Allen at Cakes and Ale. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on Good Eats for Alton Brown. Um, I was like the production grunt basically. 
Um, and is this, this all after Ryan Smith? Uh, it's before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in in Atlanta, where do you, like you said this the Ryan like anything else talk worth talking about? Should we go back to Ryan Smith in that in that experience? Um, I I worked for you tell uh, I'm fishing right now. No, no. <laughs> I worked for someone who um became one of my closest friends. She owned a pasta shop. Her name is Lisa Gambino. Um, she was a producer for CNN for many many years and was kind of done doing that for a minute. So she. Is Itali- her family's Italian, so she went back to Italy and learned how to make pasta um, the real way and opened a shop in Atlanta and made pasta for other restaurants. And she was way ahead of her time, way, 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 way ahead of her time. But she made this beautiful product. It was incredible. Yeah. And I worked for her. And she was, she is just a very gentle, kind, kind soul, wanted to do the best for everyone. And I was a lot younger then. At the time, I was just like, no, this isn't what you need to do. You're paying everyone too much. You know, you should be like this and that. And, you know, I think maybe paying people what she did and doing what she did, maybe it ultimately financially wasn't easy, an easy path for her, but she was doing the right thing all the time. And it stuck with me, even though I didn't absorb those lessons and um, employ them in my own life and the way I was managing people, it stuck with me long enough to make it difference so later on. When the, I started it to think being about things. Her, her willingness to sacrifice for others. Yes, absolutely. Got it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of want to go back to Ryan Smith for some reason. I don't know why I'm being pulled back. Because he's direction. fucking great. Because I know that name and I exactly. So I love I'm, that person. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, damn, like you must have really done some shit to get a foot into that door. And I feel like I'm missing the shit because well, you don't just so, walk into that. <laughs> so I was working at Cakes. Okay. So. Um, Billy Allen Cakes Nail. He is my husband's best friend. And Billy Allen. Okay. He owns Cakes Nail. He now owns um, Bread and Butterfly. Okay. Um, Cakes Nail doesn't exist anymore. Is your husband in, in the industry as well? Um, kind of adjacent. He was a cheese buyer. He worked for Whole Foods. He was um, the specialty buyer in Southeast for many years. And then he did it in the UK and then worked for Earth Fair for a little bit and then sold wine and sold cheese. Um, so he was kind of like on that sort of side of the food industry. Yeah. Um, but Billy Allen is his best friend and, um, I had been doing some food styling cause it was always just sort of this thing that was adjacent where I didn't want to work restaurant hours and I didn't want to be in restaurants again, but I couldn't get away from food altogether. And what is food styling? Exactly? Um, so, you know, if you're filming a commercial or, you know, for a show at Good Eats, it's the food that's there. You're making the food and yeah. preparing it. And if it's a commercial, then, you know, it's not edible. It's all glossy and held together with toothpicks and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so basically like creating like a portrait essentially like like laying it up making it look appealing yes exactly yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and there's a lot of waste in that it's just you're making food for people to play with and you throw away a ton of it and so that felt really disheartening and weird mm-hmm. um, and so Billy opened Cakes and Ale and he needed a pastry chef and you know it worked out well for him because I was at that point kind of like family yeah so he had someone he could trust in the shop and I would close for him and all that stuff and um I, you know, I had kind of been baking bread earlier in my career, but I hadn't had like a real pastry chef job. So that was kind of the hook for me. And, um, he's an amazing chef. Like he, I learned so much about how to think about food and how to view food from him, but it didn't end well. What happened? Um, this is where it gets awkward. Uh, yeah, no, (laughs) I mean, there's nothing legal I can say about it. And I, you know, um, he was a screamer and I screamed along with him and, at one point he had a dispute with someone that was working there and they brought it up to me the next day and I confronted him about it and he blew up and I was like, that's it. I'm done. I mean, it was a series of things 
along those lines, but at a certain point I was just like, I'm done with this shit. Yeah. It's amazing how much we've learned about emotional intelligence over the past 20 years. Right. You know? No. And it, it was really weird because, you know, up until that point, um, I knew him as a friend and he was a, a wonderful friend. He was a great friend, a fantastic human. But I saw this other side of him. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, this is. I mean, you feel bad for people who I'm not just saying he's emotionally unintelligent, but like we just don't understand. Like, I just don't think people realize. Right. You know, like how to control your emotions. Yeah. And, you know, and how and your emotions affect other people. Yeah. I mean, and he had just opened this restaurant. It was all his own money. And, you know, it was extremely stressful. And he was really tired all the time. And he just had a kid and all this other stuff. So, you know, looking back on it now, I get it. But, uh, you know, it just didn't end well. And when I was on my way out, um, well, to kind of back up a little bit, um, I got nominated for a James Beard Award for the, as the pastry chef there. And at the time in Atlanta, the restaurant scene was good, but it wasn't what it is now. Um, and so that, you know, it was sort of like a big deal. I was suddenly like kind of a name in town, I guess. Was it the South South uh, East Best Chef or Best Pastry Chef? Pastry or Chef, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it was it the, the region or what was it the actual um, nomination? Pastry Chef is, is national. Okay, so it was it. that. Yeah. Got and it, he it. had gotten nominated the year before for Chef Southeast. Nice. Um, and so, you know, there's this little tidal wave of things that were, were good for my brand, I guess, if you want yeah, to put it that sure. way. So you're um, at this point, you're still kind of building your personal brand. Trying oh, to yeah, totally. Develop yeah. leverage to to get into Absolutely. the right restaurants and stuff. Yeah. Like, what is the strategy as a pastry chef? I don't usually talk to pastry chefs. Mm-hmm. This is I'm a little outside my comfort zone, but it's yeah, good. No. But like, yeah. I mean, from a pastry chef, it's weird because part of me is like, tell me, tell me what you did to be, get to where you are as a pastry chef. But what you did, you've already admitted, isn't what you want other people to do. You know, it's there. It's not. It's not a good ecosystem it's not a, it's a, not you know yeah. and so like do we talk about recreating that for others to follow in your footsteps or do we talk about what we need to do to change it i'm kind of like i'm at it like a divide right yeah. now. yeah um you know I, I think that fortunately at this point people know a little bit more about how to not behave to just not do it and so that is a big thing whereas back then you know this was like a oh my god this was like 12 years ago more than that maybe um you know and it just there weren't that that sort of there wasn't that sort of expectation about behavior really and people like ryan um were much 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 more the exception than the norm not only was there no expectation about not how not to act it was almost championed to act yes exactly you know it was like that kind of yeah that stereotypical ah it was expected you yeah and that's how you got things done by by command and control yes exactly yeah yeah and it there wasn't really anything about collaboration in there it was just like you know a a dictatorship basically top down so if if you were speaking to an aspiring pastry chef yes somebody who wants to achieve the same success you've achieved Mm -hmm. knowing that the way you did it's fucked up (laughs) (laughs) yeah like what does that narrative look like oh my god um don't be a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know you're being an asshole. You know when you're being an asshole. You know how you're being an asshole. Don't be a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know, and again, it's really hard, I think, for women because being an asshole along with the other assholes protects you from the abuse of the assholes, basically. And so women... One asshole creates another asshole. Yeah, but, you know, and it's kind of like, it's sort of one of those things where it's almost like um, it's a survival tactic, I think, especially for women and after I got out of restaurants for a little bit, whenever I dipped back in, I was always like, oh, wow, 
I guess I was kind of like that too. You know, I'd meet a woman who was in a, a position of leadership and think, wow, that's a really hard shell on her. Like she's oof. Um, and then I'd realize that I was probably much worse than that um, before, you know, and. When did the self-awareness come? Was it after your current role or before? Uh, probably somewhere it was before and then a little bit during. Um, was there a tipping point? Uh, honestly, the pandemic, when I was sitting at my house for about two months thinking about things, I was like, cool. Okay, so we might all fucking die or things are going to be really fucking terrible after this. It was kind of a scary moment. Do ago, I think yeah. I've done a good job with myself? Have I done the things I've wanted to do for other people? And the answer was pretty much not really. Yeah. You know, I had some people that I had taken under my wing here and there pretty much at every single restaurant I worked at. I found someone to take under my wing and try to help them along. But generally as a whole, I didn't feel really great about what I was like in the early parts of my career. Mostly really just a cakes and ale. Yeah. yeah. So so this was after you you started Life Raft Treats because that was post pandemic. Right? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or no, pre, start, pre yeah, pandemic. Life Raft started in 2018. 2018. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now's a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll start talking about Life Raft Treats and how you kind of pivoted away from the traditional sure. route of yep. the pastry chef into what you're doing now. This episode is brought to you by One Huddle. One Huddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fight up your workforce. One Huddle provides a mobile-first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3,000-plus quick-burst skill games, and the option to instantly create personalized content. One Huddle is changing the way restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals and videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. Let's get into some of the facts. So with One Huddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on One Huddle versus traditional micro learning and video based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this. You're looking at a more engaged worker too, because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one, and huddle like a football huddle. And if you use that link, you can get 90 days access to One Huddle's game shop, which includes 3,000 plus on-demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. And you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. Okay, bring us to the point where you're kind of just thinking like you're ready for a change and you want to get off this trajectory of a pastry chef yeah. like why wholesale like why was this the path what was going through your head in 2018 um so in 2018 uh at the beginning of the year i had 
flew twice in one month, one time with pneumonia, and basically went to the doctor, and the doctor said, if you don't lie down for about a week, you're going to go to the hospital. I was like, okay, I think I'm going to take a break now, and just realized that I had worked myself just into just a illness. I was Paint just, a picture of how hard you're working, how often, like how many days, how many hours a day, like get into, paint that picture for yeah, us. Yeah, um, I would start work at four in the morning and probably work until about five or six every day, sometimes longer, sometimes earlier, um, and then have to do stuff over the weekend, admin things. You also have three kids at this point? I have two kids. Two kids. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they were really small back then. They yeah. were uh, like 18 months or something and like three maybe yeah like babies um and it was just it was fucking terrible i was leaving uh the house when it was still dark at n- in the morning it was still dark and then coming back when it was dark again and i had a nanny and the nanny would basically just hand me one of the kids and be like okay well they're about to fall asleep now and it was it was fucking terrible yeah um you know so that was part of the tipping point and um I was working for someone who had a really misplaced sense of ownership of my ideas and of kind of me in a certain way. And I was just really not into that. So what you're talking about right now is like when your hard work, um, somebody else gets celebrated for your hard work. Kind of. But more than anything, um, I had started making not, not fried chicken while I was at this restaurant and um not not fried chicken is that the ice cream that not I fried had? chicken yeah, yeah. The, the, chi- the chicken leg okay. yeah I, um, I just wanted to make sure i started making it there and you know people were like this is this really weird funny thing and it kind of started to take off a little bit and the owner of the restaurant was like this is mine i was like bullshit yeah let's 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 not fucking do this um so i eventually pretty quickly left and when i was leaving I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I just knew that I didn't want to be there anymore at that particular restaurant or maybe in any other restaurant ever again. Yeah. Um, and my husband said, well, you know, you've always wanted to make ice cream. So what's stopping you? So this is like 2017 this or is this 2018? 2018, 2018, early 2018. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, this actually reminds me. Mm-hmm. I, I listened to uh, Will uh, Guadera. I'm always afraid to say his last name. Will Guadera's um, book, uh, mm-hmm. Unreasonable Hospitality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he talks about this, this, this idea of, of, of this, this culture of stealing people's work and calling it. Yeah. Um, and I, why do you think that happens? He talks about some things that, but I want to hear your perspective before. Um, I think right now, so much of it has to do with social media. Um, and there's this, there's this weird thing happens with social media with our business a lot. Like someone will make a TikTok video of it or they'll make a YouTube video of them eating the ice cream or something like that. And it'll get a lot of hits. And then suddenly everyone else will get on Gullbelly and they'll order it too. And they'll make their own videos and it just kind of spirals for a couple months. And they are doing that because they know it gets a lot of attention. So it builds up their own social media profile. And so I think a lot of other people in the food industry will be like, oh, I can make that too. And they'll make something extremely similar. They'll make a really bad version of it just for the likes and the hits. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you can always tell when you go to a restaurant or you go to a business and it's not what that person who owns it really feels. It's just a, a, a like a front or yeah. not a front, but it's just like a, a charade, I guess. You know, and so I feel like a lot of people in the food industry, they want something other than to be creative. They want... I hate the word clout, but they want the clout or something. And so that's an easy way for them. Ego? Yeah. They want their ego stroked in some way. They want to be, you know, viewed as being very clever or some hot, brilliant chef or something like that. And 
sometimes they don't have their own ideas and they find someone else's great idea and they're like, oh no, this is mine. Yeah. What what Will brings up in the book, it's mm-hmm. subtle. It's not like a, they don't really spend a lot of time talking about this, but it was it, it stuck with me for some reason that if you let your chefs, your pastry chefs, your bartenders, the, the real creative elements of your restaurant mm-hmm. get the credit, mm-hmm. then they're going to get poached. Mm-hmm. And there's a fear of that. Do you think that plays into it? I don't really know. I mean, I think there's always that, you know, it's like whenever you're in any kind of food and beverage industry, part of it, you're always worried about staffing. You're always worried about. Yeah. Like you're a super talented pastry chef. You right. Know, you're, you're creating these out of the box things that are like out of left field type things. That, yeah. And I see how like if, if you have that in your four walls mm-hmm. and that gets outside of your four walls, mm-hmm. how do you replace that? Right. I can see that being something that would be fearful or cause anxiety for an owner. But at the same time, it's like, it's not about you. Right. You know, you know and I, I get that point of view, but I don't get that point of view because to me, you just have to be better as a, a business and better as a person. And, you know, I've always said within this own business, I lean in that direction too. Yeah. You Uh, know, my, my thing is that if someone gets poached from my business, then I wasn't doing something right. Well, the way I look at it is if you, if your business created opportunity for somebody, yes, then somebody else is going to recognize that and fill that void because they want the opportunity too. you could be a launch pad for somebody. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's, that's a great thing. You want that. You want your business to be a launch pad. You want, people to go on and do their own thing and have learned some good things from you. That's what you want. You know, you can't hold on to people forever. So while you have them, you need to nurture them and try to get them on their way. And it doesn't work out for everyone. You know, Uh, we've had people that have come here and it hasn't been a good fit and they've gone on their own way and it's been better for everyone. And then we have, you know, our first two full-time employees are still here and they're great. And I, know at some point they'll probably leave and I'll cry and it'll make me really sad. But I hope that whatever they do that, you know, I've helped them get there and that they'll call me and ask me questions. when Yeah. You know, I mean, and I, it's especially since I'm a lot older than them and I have kids, there is like a real mothering kind of thing going on. And like, I mom the shit out of all of them. I'm like, don't rush in the car. I witnessed it when we were setting up. You kicked one of your, your, well, uh, I, you know, I wanted, out of here. I said it's time to go home. I'm like, Stop I'm like dude, go home, go home. <laughs> like you're, you're young and you're cute. Go talk to some girls. Like go. Uh, so this was the last straw for you in terms of your pastry chef. Yeah. This yeah. is this, this, this uh, event mm-hmm. that happened. When, yeah. Um, so you just spent 25 years building this name for yourself just about going on this path mm-hmm. what, what what are you thinking like was was it immediate like let's do wholesale like or were you done did somebody convince you to do wholesale um you know i just started doing what i could in the beginning we had um a little cart that uh another pastry chef friend of mine who has gone on to have her own business in jersey city she had a little breakfast truck here um is that what we saw out there that is that, that the little original? teeny the little teeny cart out there oh yeah is yeah that yeah, the yeah. Nice. that's the original we'll to get some shots of yeah that um she had it and she let me borrow it. And then she was like, you know, I'm not really using this. Do you want to buy it from me from some really ridiculously low price? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And that was the first thing we had because we got the truck and we were building it out and that took forever. Um, so we had the cart. What and were you I was selling all the cart? Um, not fried chicken and a whole bunch of little ice cream sandwiches and things like that. So when, she, when, when Cynthia is saying not fried chicken, mm-hmm. that is literally something. It's, it's not uh, not fried chicken in a void. There's literally a product that you have called yeah, not, it's fried, called not chicken. fried chicken. And it's trademarked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's trademarked. It's a ice cream treat. I just want to make sure because in case it's not clicking. Yeah. The listeners yeah, yeah. That 
like it's trademark. It's what you were just talking about with the yes. chef that took the credit for it. Yeah. It's an ice cream treat mm-hmm. that looks like breaded fried chicken. Looks like a chicken drumstick. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, what's what are the, what's the flavor profile of the ice cream? Um, it's waffle ice cream. And there's a chocolate cookie bun in the middle. Yeah. And Super creative. Delicious. It, <laughs> and um, the outside is caramelized white chocolate and cornflakes. So and it's crunchy and salty and sweet. and. So that's what you were selling out of the cart. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. We're selling that. So that, was that your only product? Um, no, we had some other ice cream sandwiches um, that we don't make anymore. Um, you know, and at the time it was so small, we could spend a lot of time making one thing, you know, or a couple of things. We could really put a lot of effort and creative thought into it. Where were you producing this? Um, I was at a commissary kitchen. Um, there is a caterer in town called Salt House, and he was a friend of a friend, and he had space, and he let me use the space, and he... Um, is honestly one of the huge reasons why we are in our own building and have a little facility and we've been able to grow. He was so, so much kinder to me. My eyes are watering. I'm almost about to cry about this. Um, Todd, Todd Mazurik, he uh, was so kind to me and so good without any expectation. He just let me use all the space, use so much water. I destroyed so many of his towels. Say that name one more time. Todd Mazurik of Salt House Catering got in his way, got in his team's way, just, but he let me grow and helped me grow and supported me, bought my product, talked to me about everybody, charged me barely anything in monthly rent to use his catering kitchen. So b- before you got into this commissary kitchen, this yeah. catering kitchen, uh-huh. what was the vision? You got away from what you were doing. What was the narrative in your head? I'm going to go do my own thing and it, this is my strategy. This is what I'm going to There do. wasn't a strategy. I was just going to do my own thing and I was going to figure it out as I went along. Um, and, you know, because I'm very fortunate and I, I have been pretty privileged throughout my life to have, you know, there's always sort of a safety net. I'm never really going to like have to you know, sleep in my car or anything like that. I was just like, I'm just going to make this shit up as I go along. And I'm going to say yes before I know how to do it. And I'm going to figure it out before the deadline. I mean, what you're describing is a lean, the lean startup approach of just, yeah, it was mostly just me. Um, at the time, uh, I had a partner and it didn't work out very quickly. I think people get in so much trouble by having this grand vision of what they want. And they just think that they're not going to be taken seriously until they get that. And they, and they overextend so exactly, exactly. Yes. Uh, so it's terrible to see that kind of thing too. So just start small, do exactly what Cynthia did. Started really small. Um, you know, use your network and relationships. Yeah. Begged money off my parents, begged money off of my husband's parents. Um, was really tight-fisted about everything, ran it super lean, had terrible packaging in the beginning. But it doesn't um, have to be amazing at, in the It beginning. doesn't. You just have to have a really good product. And, and relationships, which and, you had. You know, try to be decent, as, as decent as you can to your customers, your suppliers, and everyone you come across. Um, so you, you, were, you were known for this product. Yes. Um, you had already established a name and a reputation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, we can definitely learn from that. Go out there, work for other people, yes. develop relationships, hone your skill, find your lane, exactly. figure out, get get identity. Yes, right? and you very had, much so. You had achieved that. Yeah, and that was what made the transition into all of it so much easier. You know, if I had been some random person, not that I'm not a random person now, I'm totally random, but if I didn't have sort of these stamps of approval that everyone can sort of see and be like, oh, okay, she she must sort of know what she's doing. 
um, behind me to start the story, then it would be pretty hard to sell something that looked like a piece of fried chicken. Yeah. Um, you need, you, I think it takes some time investing. Like, I think people try to go, I mean, you had this, you had momentum up to this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you were nominated for a James Beard Award. Yeah, I had momentum like, and I was also, you know, doing it relatively kind of, not old, but, you know, a little bit older. And so it wasn't like I could bail at any time. I was, I, you know, I like to joke about and say I was backed into a corner, but I kind of was backed into a corner because I was going to go back to restaurants. Yeah, Charleston is, you know, it's a great restaurant town, but if you're pastry chef, there aren't a lot of jobs out there. And so I was like, I have to figure this shit out and I've got to get these kids into college at some point. And yeah. so that, you know, that sort of, I have to make this work thing has really been good for me. So go ahead. No, I mean, if I had done this 10 years earlier, if I had done this when I was in my early thirties, I probably would have bailed already. Because what? Why do you think specifically? Because it's so hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. There's so many yeah. days where you're just like, ah, I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. This is all fucked up. So you have this this brand. You have this yeah. reputation. Mm-hmm. You have this cart. Um, you're you're slinging. What, what's the street? Like, where are you selling these things? Where are you going with this cart? Anywhere anyone will have us. Farmers markets. Um, any kind of pop ups. You know, we had a lot of friends in the F and B area that were like you can pop up with us when we pop up and you know one of those first things was um they're now uh jackrabbit philly but at the time they're short grain they had a food truck and um we were friends with them and they said oh we pop up at edmund's oast every um tuesday you should pop up with us Did you notice the sweatshirt i was rocking on the yeah way yeah and so you know it was great and we popped up with them and it was uh at the time like a really nice amount of money for us and got us out there and you know, so much of the success of this company was other people helping us and being really kind and saying, oh, come to the shop and set up and we'll let everyone know you're coming and they can eat your ice cream. And, you know, places like um, J Stark, it's a it's a local company. They make um, handmade canvas bags and goods. They let us pop up there a bunch and they were so kind. You know, Edmunds O's let us pop up a whole bunch. Edmunds O's Exchange let us pop up. So many other people just being like, yeah, you're getting started. Come here. You need a place. Come here and put the cart here and it'll yeah. be great. And, you know, were just- you were you trying to, were you thinking along the lines of trying to build the clientele beyond just making impressions in person? Were you collecting emails at this point? Were you I wasn't. To- and we okay. still don't really collect emails. Okay. We ha- we have a thing on the website that's like, oh, get the newsletter. There is no newsletter. No one has time to make a newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, <laughs> you know, it was just very um, sort of organically done and you know, I didn't try to pull any bullshit. I didn't try to make anything that I didn't want to make. Yeah. Um, there was a big push in the beginning where people said, oh, you need to make ice cream for kids. And I was like, it's ice cream. It's all for kids. It's all for children. Like, this is all for children. We're not doing anything weird. Like, there's nothing made out of, like, sriracha. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I was extremely resistant to that. And So were they trying to say you should make, like, a... Like a chocolate that, that chip would, cookie with vanilla ice cream. That though. would appeal to children. Like yeah. Something that, would like, a child would see and go, like, I want Yeah, and I, I find that part of, like, American food culture really terrible. Like, that we're dumbing things down for kids. Right. Because there isn't a, such a thing as kids' food. There's there's food, and maybe it's in a smaller portion. Yeah. Now, I'm sure you're still busting your ass to this day, right? It's not, <laughs> like, you're, it's not like you're not working anymore. No, right? yeah, yeah. But what was the evolution? Like, what what took you, what, like, if, if the cart mm-hmm. is first gear, yeah. what was second gear? Uh, second gear was a truck. Um, okay. And yeah, just this giant mint green truck. That Are you profitable at this point? Are you, is there a profit? Are you uh, making money? We were profitable until we started um, leasing this space. Okay. And the thing about it is that it's, well, okay. 
let's take a couple steps back. So we the, just jumped the fifth gear. There, yeah, we totally did. <laughs> um, no, the truck was really good because it allowed us to do bigger events. Um, you know, we did festivals. Uh, more we did brand weddings. Awareness. Yeah, festivals and weddings, things like that, where it was much more profitable than like a little cart. And the cart is cute, and people are like, oh, Asian carts are so cute. But when you do an event like a farmer's so, market, no one sees the cart. Yeah. It's really hard to see the cart. But if you have some like 20 foot long, mint green thing yeah, people out. will see it what about volume were you limited on the volume you could bring with the cart uh totally absolutely because you know it's you've got dry ice in there there's only so much you can put in there kind of thing and so that was a limiting factor as well so the truck was second gear and then third gear was getting to a lot of restaurants um before we move away from second gear yeah and this is kind of a pun because we're in a truck right now <laughs> yeah um what are your thoughts on trucks in general? Or, yeah. I think a lot of people think it's like this, like easier than a restaurant approach. It's, anything you do in this industry, there's no easy way out. There's no gaming any of it. All of it's hard in one way or the other. The thing that's hard about trucks is you're kind of like a carny. Pack out, pack in, you know. I mean, you have tank. your own space now, which is nice. That's one of the yes. big things with a truck is you need a commissary kitchen. Yeah. Right? And you're sharing that space with people and that's a pain in the ass. Right. It's a total pain, you know. Um, and then you eventually wear it, you're welcome because as your business grows, you take up more and more space and yep. you know, that whole thing. And I hope you're a good mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. No, we have a great mechanic. I am a terrible mechanic. I, you don't want me to do any of that, but we have a good mechanic, you know? And then, so it's like the physical body itself of the truck or the trailer, or whatever you're doing is, I think there's a lot of things that are worth discussing when are it comes really, to a, full, a, a truck, right? Yeah, you know, and, and the thing about a truck is it's just like, I, I got off easy because I don't have any flames or hoods or cooking things in there. I have two freezers. What year was second gear? When did you get the truck? Uh, Towards the end of 2018. Okay, so you're so, growing, you're, you're scaling pretty quickly. At this yeah, point. it did happen pretty quickly. And, you know, we were really lucky. And like I said, again, it was just really so much of it was just timing, you know. Um, if you go to a grocery store now, you see so many feet of uh pints of artisan ice cream there's there's a huge thing of pints of artisan ice cream but there's still not a lot of novelties out there yeah which we'll get to in a minute because there's a reason why <laughs> wait, wait, wait i want to make sure we get to it so one yeah. more time about novelties okay, but there's novelty. no novelties why there's, there's no novelty well, there's not a lot of novelties like sandwiches and bars and stuff okay. yeah got it um yeah so before we move away from the truck any yeah. other lessons honestly the where you were in this point of your career mm-hmm. is how I would tell most people to get started. Yeah. Pop-ups, keep it small, keep it manageable. Keep it small, keep it manageable. Um, and, and let your let cash flow and people determine your growth. That's what I would say. But like, what, what yeah. determined your growth? Like, were you just pushing? Um, we were pushing and it was just taking off, you know, and because it was such a unique product, it was so niche, it was so visual, it took off really quickly. It was really fun product. It was really fun. And, you know, again, Chubby Fish comes back into the story where we had a showcase you know, um, were you in Chubby Fish at this point? Yeah, we like pretty much started making treats for them when they opened. Because I think they opened two thousand seventeen or eighteen, right around. The yeah, same like time right around the same time, almost yeah. at the same time. Um, and so, you know, they were a wonderful showcase for us. It's on the menu board. Everyone there talks about it. And he's really great about giving you credit for it too. Oh no, he's like, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's fantastic. And so he, you know, he and um, Yo-Yo, both his wife and, and business partner were so supportive and just talked to everyone about it. Like it was like gospel and just got us out there, yeah. you know, and so many other small business owners in town were like that with us too. Like I said before, like Jay Stark and um, Jack Rabbit Philly and Renzo and all these other small restaurants 
were just so supportive. So other than having a very unique product that stands out, you know, you definitely have a unique selling proposition. You're focusing on doing one thing or a few things really well. Mm-hmm. So you had not chicken. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else were you serving at this point early? Um, we had uh, these sandwiches called fatty cakes. Okay. Um, and it was a ginger master. It was a ginger cookie with master pony ice cream, which was a frozen version of cookie I made back in Atlanta. That was like the first sort of legal tussle or legalish tussle I had with some restaurant owners. Oh. I was making these cookies that everybody loved and they wanted me to leave the recipe behind. And I was like, no. Well, I think that's a really, I mean, we're kind of backpedaling a little yeah. bit, but this is great business advice. Yeah. You know, if like- you have something unique and wonderful, trademark that shit because more than half the time you're not splitting atoms. You're not doing anything that, you know, involves like deep science and all this kind of crap. And there's no protection out there other than the name of the product. And have that conversation about into intellectual property before you take the job. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know, like, Even if you think that you sound like a twat because you're talking about it and you might be some 20-year-old and this is the first job you've had, but if you know you're really creative and you have a lot of things to do, have that conversation about who owns the idea. Where, you know, where does this end where when we part ways? Yeah. Who retains what? You know, and make sure that you're the one that retains it. And if if yeah, just just make sure that that's clear. If that's out yeah. there, if that's a deal breaker for you. Then make sure you're you're absolutely. And yeah. you know, part of this whole thing about the restaurant industry that's so weird is to say that it should be yours and these are my rights and I own this and you are not keeping this. You know, because there's this whole weird idea that like you should be sacrificing your life and you know all these other things because it's a restaurant in this yeah. business. That's fucked up. Because think about it. If you were writing, if you're a journalist, you're not just going to give away your articles for free and say, oh, you know, don't put my name on it. That's okay. It's just this thing. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to some really other weird sort of things where, okay, well, how come you can patent a medicine or a machinery or copyright words or why can't you do any of that with food? Because traditionally food has been made by people of color and women. You know, and so I think that there's an automatic built-in thing with trademarking and copywriting that just, you know, puts you on your back foot. Yeah, I truly think this is the future of the industry. I I think that you're going to be seeing me personally because mm-hmm. the traditional business model, mm-hmm. um, that you know the, the the James Beard Award winners and the uh, Michelin star receivers, mm-hmm. I think those business models aren't. We know they're not profitable. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a broken model. Absolutely. Um, and so I think, but you still are going to see people who are creative, who are chefs, who want to create and do this stuff. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of people who know their talent and recognize mm-hmm. their talent mm-hmm. are going to become basically hired guns for restaurants. And instead of yeah. having a chef on staff and paying a chef on staff, mm-hmm. a creative on staff, mm-hmm. just hire somebody out mm-hmm. for the intele- for the intellectual property. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay them every week. You pay yep. them for a short period of time. Yep. You help them develop a menu. Then you mm-hmm. build systems around yep. and recipes. Or mm-hmm. res- all a recipe is is a system, a process exactly. to do something. Yep. And you pay them for their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And they have multiple clients. Yep. And they're just being a creative. And I think that is way more intelligent than sacrificing your life to one business. Yes. Um, and But I just don't think people think like this business-wise. You know, I think it's going to take a while for the industry itself to accept that that's what they want to do because there's this idea that they need to have a chef that's, you know, representing the restaurant and that kind of thing other than 
hey, the food's really well, good. Well, they build the restaurant around the chef. Right. But and you so don't want to, but that is broken. Oh, it's totally broken. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's totally broken. You know, if you're building a restaurant around a chef, that person probably wants to just find a nice, cool ditch to go lie down in because they're so exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, you know. No, but not to mention as a business person, if you, yeah. if you build a concept around a chef and that doesn't work out and the chef leaves... Oh, you're screwed. You have a people, you have a person dependent operation. That's yeah. like the number one thing you don't want to do. You exactly. Don't wanna, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's, uh, sorry. I'm, I'm no, no, no. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with you completely. Um, lots of little veins being hit today with me. I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm ranting. It's meant for you to be ranting right now. But, oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back to your story. Yeah. Um, on the timeline, mm-hmm. you, you, you have this unique selling proposition. You shared your product line with us and you're, you're out of this cart mm-hmm. and that evolves to the food truck. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not wholesale yet. Um, we were mostly just wholesaling to Chubby Fish because okay. we just didn't have the capacity to do anything else in a commissary. And then we kind of started to pick up a little bit more of that when other restaurants got wind of it. They were like, "Will you make something special for us too?" And we're like, "Yeah, of course." So, paint the picture of what your business is today. Um, right now our business, um, we just had a huge, like, kind of turning point. Um, last month, my husband and Brendan, um, that young man that you met when you got in here. They went out to a food show in LA and they had our, all of our little package products. You know, there was a, a Yuzu Dreamsicle, which is like a dairy free Yuzu sherbet bar dipped in dark chocolate. It's delicious. Mm. A peanut butter cup, peanut butter ice cream looks like a peanut butter cup. It's, I love peanut butter. Oh, you, well, you're going to have to have one of these okay. later. <laughs> so good. Um, you know, the fatty cake sandwich, um, a Vietnamese coffee bar, really great stuff, beautiful products, nice packaging, everything. Um, but they went out to the food show in LA. Nobody wanted to talk about anything but the not fried chicken. No one cared about anything but the not fried chicken. People were coming up saying, oh, I saw this on so-and-so's video on TikTok or whatever and blah, 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 this and that. Not fried chicken. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, we were looking at the data and all we really sold anywhere at any time was not fried chicken. And this is all made by hand. At this point in the business right now, we have a production team of three to four people. It's all women. Um, They make all this by hand. And we make about 10,000 pieces a week. It's a four-day work week, wow. 10 hours a, a day, um, and they don't ring in any overtime. This is all made completely by hand, every single piece. And I'm going to get off on a little tangent here. Um, the business is almost entirely operated by women, and that hasn't been some sort of choice. It's just what works here. And the right kind of women are really collaborative. They take care of each other, both at work and outside of work. And they care about things and you can talk to them as a full grown adult and they accept it. They tell you what they need and it's fucking great. And these women that are holding up the entire business. And when I say holding up, I mean like literally like this is on their backs are so much smarter and tougher and better than any of the men I ever worked with in all the restaurants in all my culinary career. They're fucking amazing. Awesome. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're just fucking tough. God. Yeah. Shout out ladies. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, so your, your majority revenue is coming from this fried chicken is what I picked up. Aside from it's the fact like that these ladies are badasses. It's 98% of the revenue. Yeah. That's yeah. all anyone wants. And I'm totally fine with that because, yeah. you know, you can sort of do this thing where you're like, I'm going to die on the hill of being an artist. And how come no one wants to appreciate all these other little fun things we do and this and that because we've done a lot of different things and a lot of, um, you know, we've had a lot of fun ideas that don't necessarily take off because we just don't have the time to spend promoting them. Um, but my whole goal with this business is to eventually be acquired, bow out, 
and everyone who's come along with me on this journey, write them a fat ass fucking check. So that's one of the benefits of trademarking something is yeah. that if somebody wants it, they have to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, or yeah. And they can own it. The that's essentially the, the idea. Yeah, yeah. The process, you know, so you there's build up demand, you build up awareness. Exactly. You, you have an asset. Yes. Right. Yes. And then, and then you flip it. Yes. It, yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people have this idea that's a very cute little thing that we're doing and it's so artistic and fun, but this is a business that's a money making vehicle. My aim is to make money for myself and everyone here. And there's no shame in fiscal. No. And when I say everyone here, I mean, literally everyone here, whoever's with me at the finish line, well, you know, if, if I get a life-changing amount of money for this business, they do too. Was that the mindset in 2018? Is that what you wanted to do? Did, did you want to scale? In 2018, not, not, I, just did, I just didn't want to be in fucking restaurants anymore. <laughs> and I was going to do anything it took. I mean, literally fucking anything to never go back to a restaurant again. It's funny. I used to listen and to I like, don't mean to insult my friends who own restaurants, no. but like for me, that life, I will, I was like, fuck this, man. Like I mean, nothing. I, I gave birth to a baby that was almost nine and a half pounds and almost two feet tall. And nothing is worse than being in a restaurant. Man. I'm sorry, but <sighs> a pastry chef in a restaurant, like, just fuck that. There's a reason why the last word in the mission statement is transform, you yeah. know? And um, we're, and I think we're going to do that through educating people. I think a lot yeah. of the reason why we're in this position as restaurant people mm-hmm. is because we are so passionate about the people mm-hmm. and the food that we don't know smart business. Yes. And if we can share business acumen and mm-hmm. share knowledge mm-hmm. and empower people yeah. and also inject values and the people like you've done for us today yes telling us what's not acceptable mm-hmm. we can transform the industry but we have to talk you yeah know? absolutely we have to share information um so i mean i used to when i first started this podcast i was like i was inspired by all these uh uh these uh other podcasts are so inspirational about making money and like like the 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 glitz and the gram the glamour of success Mm -hmm. right and i started talking to people Mm -hmm. and i'm like fuck (laughs) like this is really hard like this sucks like this industry is broken in a lot of ways and if i can talk people out of opening restaurants i'm doing a service you know (laughs) and that's kind of what we're here to do is to be real and to talk about people who want to open restaurants if you're thinking about it know it's going to be hard so you know you can save yourself a, lo- a lifetime of, of headaches and stress. If yes. It's not for you. Yes. And, um, you know, so like, I, I'm happy that you're being raw and authentic and genuine mm-hmm. and, and laying it out there. Cause it's the reality, yeah. but we can change it. I think over time. Yeah, I for hope, sure. Yeah. Know? So when you first started, um, mm-hmm. the, the life raft tr- treats, mm-hmm. you weren't thinking I'm going to scale this and sell it or were you? Um, no, not really. I mean, it was really just one foot in front of the other, you know, for quite a while. And then uh, one of the big turning points was, um, you know, the pandemic and everyone just starting to look at everything online and a lot of like online traffic towards our dinky little Instagram page and our dinky little website because it was such a visual thing. And at the same time, my husband um, was working at uh, as for a distribution company. He was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't. I, I don't like my job. And I was like, how convenient. Hey, I'm going to trap you into <laughs> yeah. this other thing yeah. for the rest of your life with me. Um, and it kind of worked out really nicely because I really needed someone like him to help me drive the business. Mm-hmm. And I could never have afforded someone like him. So someone like but him, because he was the father of my children, I trapped him. <laughs> so the, but someone like him, what do you mean by that? Um, he, you know, he worked for whole foods for about 12 years or so. Um, buying probably about, 90 million dollars worth of specialty products buying and selling and he just knew that next stage of growth 
he just knew what to do. He knows what the distribution companies need to have. They need to see how logistics works, just all those things that, you know, allowed me to kind of go, well, here's the product mix. And he's like, okay, well, that's not a good idea. That's a good idea. People are going to want this. People aren't going to want that. Here's how we're going to do this all. And so once he got on board with me, um, that was when, that was when, yeah. And that's when things really took off is because I had another person with me that I could depend on to, do these other things that this I need post to pandemic or pre pandemic? It kind of smacked up in the middle. It's like October twenty twenty. Well, that's another thing. Like I think you you made this transition to wholesale. Mm-hmm. But I don't even know where you like. What was was your goal wholesale? Did that not? Did that change Again, from more delivery? I didn't really have any. Belly? I didn't have any goals. I just wanted to like. You're on Gold Belly, right? Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to tread water. You know, and actually, that was when we started shipping through Gold Belly. It was like right around October or November of twenty twenty. As they approached us. Um, someone had, uh, this, this fantastic human being named Vanessa had had our product and ran it up the ladder at Goldbone. They're like, and she said, you guys have to get this on the website. And, you know, John David was there to talk to them and iron out all this stuff and look at the contract and get all that stuff narrowed, like, you know, kind of hammered together. And so we started selling a gold belly and it worked really well, pretty quickly right away. And they were very supportive. And so that was kind of the shift that happened. And, you know, I, I mean, I think the thing that people need to think about in whatever business they have is to not chase growth for the sake of growth, but to chase the organic growth. And so because of the pandemic and the shutdown and everything, the organic growth was in wholesale and distribution. What happens if you sh- if you chase growth for the sake of growth or, if, or just for, for money? What, what happens? Um, well, I mean, when I say growth for the sake of growth, I mean, you know, there are some businesses that I know of where they want to have multiple outlets in multiple cities and it's like that doesn't work because you aren't even really making money at the first business that you opened so why are you expanding 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 because it's this ego thing to say oh well you know i have a you know i have a restaurant in nashville and i have three in atlanta and i have like five in charleston and that kind of thing and that never really works out why well i think to be able to pull off um multiple locations how are you know you have to have a really strong company culture and you have to have hired the right people that can do these things when you're not there and you don't want a situation where they're like yay that you know um that asshole who owns this company isn't here in town so now we can just kind of like let her let her you know right let her hair down or whatever and kind of fuck things up um (laughs) but you know what i mean and so like there's a lot of this kind of like ego of like conquering. Well, they think I did expansion. one restaurant. Mm-hmm. I can do a second one. Like yeah. I, like I cracked the code. Right. Yeah, And some like, people can do it extremely five. well, but if, the ones yeah. who do it really well tend to have them all in a tight geographical yes. location as well. And they also grow slowly. Yes. And they grow they- slowly organically. And so the thing with wholesale and distribution was that was the path that was open to us at the time when my husband started working with us was it was gold belly and it was distribution getting into you whole foods your yeah getting into whole foods um you know and that was great because charleston commercial real estate is no fucking joke i mean there are places downtown that are 90 dollars a square foot which right. is fucking insanity so where is not chicken today um it is uh it's at whole foods throughout the southeast um it's at a bunch of fantastic independent retailers that are so good to us um it is at uh, Fresh Direct up in New York. It's at Foxtrot in Washington, D.C., Chicago, and um, Texas. We're also at Central Market in Texas. Um, and we are distributing through a much larger distributor. So we should hit the West Coast 
relatively soon. And so we will have nationwide distribution. Yeah. If people are listening to your story and mm-hmm. shaking their head, yeah, this sounds like it's right for me. This mm-hmm. idea, like I'm a talented person. I'm a creator. Mm-hmm. I can put all my energy into scaling one of my creations mm-hmm. and hopefully scale it to the point where somebody wants to acquire it. Mm-hmm. What is what is your advice for that person? Um, it's great if you're creative and all those things, but if you don't have someone on the business side of things, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, what are the know, business side of things that the, you like the don't nuts and bolts of, of again, knowing how for us in particular, how distribution works. And unfortunately, you know, also part of what my husband does so well is he's a big friendly white guy. And so people take him seriously. And when, you know, they have to have an email conversation with them, they take him seriously. When they talk to him face to face, they take him seriously. Whereas with me, I, you know, it's people, society is trained in a different way to deal with someone like me, unfortunately, you know. Um, How do you think society is trained? um, I think society, you know, okay, so if we are at an event and we have some beautiful ice cream treats out, some custom things, people will always go and talk to him and say, oh, this is your company. This is so amazing and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, it's her. It's her. She's the one who did all this stuff. So is it always white people that are saying this to them? It's kind of everyone, honestly. You know, um, they want to talk to the big white guy who's got the answers, they think. Is it just because, like, people assume that in order to be successful, you must be white? No, I just think they view it as, like, the figure of authority. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of weird. Um, it's it's just, it's, totally weird. it's the easiest thing to assume i guess because yes okay and so that's what people kind of do and you know i could get really pissed off about it and have all these little wars about i'm just it. trying to understand it. but because i'm me, not I'm, I'm a white oh, no, guy no. so i'm blind to it you know what i mean like i'm yeah, completely but, blind to you it. know um the thing that's great about it is he is that person who can get his foot in the door and deal with it yeah you know and um he's very personable and he's very friendly and i'm kind of not all the time mm-hmm. so that's what works and you know that's another big part of the business is you can't make people who are on your team do things that they're not good at everyone kind of has to be well-rounded enough but if someone is really fucking bad at something they hate doing it don't make them do it yeah that doesn't mean like you know they hate they're gonna think they're gonna accelerate that to the next level if they want nothing to do with. yeah exactly you know um like my production manager which isn't the correct way to describe her because she's just fucking amazing hannah um my first employee runs she's the one who runs production and she is the one who is help is getting these 10,000 pieces of not fried chicken cranked out every week um so what she, is your lane right now after all sorry that I short. your lane um i just help everybody out and i try to streamline things i'm really good at creating and implementing systems mm-hmm. um i am extremely cut and dry with everything um i don't have a lot of emotional feelings about um business sometimes my husband is you know he has a very nice gentle touch but sometimes i'm just like no we're not dealing with that we're not doing that yeah we're not doing that we're not doing that we're not doing that what are the things that he wants to do or people want to do that you you turn down um you know so we have started this pivot away from supplying restaurants and so we only supply chubby fish now and everyone else needs to go through our distributor they need to go through p10 foods why is that because I just don't, we don't have enough manpower. We don't have enough time to deliver all these little boxes of things, you know, and it's yeah. a restaurant. So it's like they have some small freezer. They can only take 25 pieces at a time. And so to get someone to pay someone to go out there and deliver that and the whole thing, it's just yeah. the juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore. Unfortunately, so I feel like you have this vision of what you want to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. and you're shedding the, the extra weight yeah you and you have to do that because um you know we're at a stage of growth where the first stage of growth 
the analogy for me is that everything costs as much as like a really shitty used car. Everything costs about $5,000 when you first get started. And that's a pretty terrible small ice cream machine. And then as you get bigger and bigger, the next stage of things that you have to buy to run a business costs as much as uh, a nice used car. And then the next stage is a nice new car. And the stage after that, things cost as much as a fucking house. Yeah. And we're at the things cost as much as a fucking house right now where I'm like, how do I figure out how to get like this six figure spiral freezer in so I can freeze the stuff fast enough? How do I do this? What's the next phase? How, you know, those kinds of things. Like, I don't even know, like, this is outside of my comfort zone as yeah. far as, like, but this is cool because mm-hmm. I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, I literally no, don't yeah, have a clue, absolutely. A clue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were talking about the gears before, yes. right? We were talking oh, about first yes. gear, you open, mm-hmm. second gear, you have the, the food truck, mm-hmm. third gear, you just, I think, um, and if I skip over, a, like, a, a oh, moment, no, no. let me know. Yeah, okay. Third gear mm-hmm. was having more of a focus that we're going to maybe try to scale as a distributor and, and getting acquired. That's the goal. Um, like having a clearer vision of what you want to become? Yeah, you know, because I, I like the work. I like doing this work. I enjoy it a lot. But my whole purpose with this company is to get everyone who's here with me as set up for the rest of their lives as I can. That's the goal. I'm or, glad it's ice cream, yeah. but it could be soap or it could be candles it. or it could be feather dusters made by hand. I don't. We're making this thing. I hope people want to buy it. I hope enough people want to buy it yeah. because I want to make sure... Hannah and Brendan and Gibson and Aggie and Megan and Lena and you know everybody else who's on this thing with us. I, I want them to be in a place in their lives when yeah. we're done with this that they don't have to worry about how the fuck are they ever going to buy a house? How right. are they ever going to start their own business? How are they going to do this? How are they going to do that? I want to have gotten them there with this business. I love that. One way or the other. I love that. It's beautiful. Um, fifth, fourth gear, fourth right? <laughs> Would have been figuring out that you need the team and you need to lean into the strengths you currently have yes. for you. That was your husband. Yeah. And that was his ability for distribution to mm-hmm. get in. So like now yeah. you're even, you're narrowing down your product, mm-hmm. right? You're, yep. you're, you're figuring out all you're putting the people in place. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong, correct. No, no, me. no. This is, that's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. So if the goal, say we're in a six gear car, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's fifth and six? Uh, fifth and six. Where is- are you in this? Do you think if, if, if selling is six gear, Right, selling. I think I'm in like uh, maybe high fours, hopefully. Okay. You know, and it's. I like to listen to the Guy Raz Guy Raz um, podcast. How I built this, yeah, and a competition. <laughs> no, I'm just like, wow, how'd you do that? That's so amazing. Maybe there's a clue in there. Um, but you know, you listen to these stories and they tell the story, and it's like a condensed sort of story. But you don't hear how hard it was along the way, what a slog it was, and I know it's going to take a, a while and maybe it doesn't happen you know like uh, but I want to take care of everyone here as much as I can yeah. even if it doesn't happen so if you're in high fourth right now yeah what's the plan to get the fifth and the sixth what's well, the strategy we are opening a shop here in Charleston um, I think they're breaking ground like this week or next downtown um, across the street from uh I think I can say this. Um, a friend who's opening his second restaurant. Don't want to go into too many details. Yeah, I don't know if it's what knowledge. But, you know, super happy to be across the street from this person. Um, and then, you know, probably opening a couple more shops in the southeast, but very tightly, you know, in Atlanta, because Atlanta's kind of home, maybe, things like that. And shops for an ice cream shop is marketing. That's not the moneymaker. It's the marketing for the rest of the product. So you want to get into more retail space? I do. We, but your you know, own retail space. Yes, like our own Jenny's retail ice space. ice cream, but on like more like 
like uh, not like scooped ice cream. Yeah, we'll have some scoops, but okay. it'll mostly be novelties because that's Got really it. that's our niche. That's what we that's what we do. Got it. Yeah. What do you mean by novelties? Um, bars, sandwiches. Got it. Mostly though is all the ice cream that looks like other food, which has been the the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're good at it, so you might as well. Do you know? I'm just I'm kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> lean into, like, lean you, into the weird. Do, how do you come up with all these ideas? I'm like, well, I'm just kind of fucking weird. So fifth gear is yeah. getting that brand recognition. Getting the brand there. recognition. Getting um getting into Whole Foods across the country. Getting to you know where developing demand. Developing demand. Yes, and being able to supply demand honestly because that's what's really hard right now is demand has. S- do you know Jenny by any chance? I don't. Can I introduce you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she's the one that paved the way for all of us. My God. Yeah. Jesus. I don't know if she's going to respond to my emails. But. Yeah, but no, she, I mean, <laughs> she... I'm not making any promises. No, I mean, if she hadn't done what she had done so successfully and so well, still to this day, I would not even vaguely be able to be doing what I'm doing. I'm pretty sure I have her contact. No one would pay $5 for an ice cream bar at this point if she hadn't done what she I had done. I think she would, like, I think, I mean, you're so talented. Like... Anybody that could be a part of lifting you up and getting you to where you need to be <laughs> is only going to benefit from that, right. you know? Yeah. I'm sure there's a win-win in there somewhere. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so at this point in the business, it's uh, it's scaling up even more intensely to even greater scale than we thought. And it's happening really quickly. And, uh, you know, demand has far outstripped supply at this point. Um, and, you know... The cash flow is difficult because we are so focused on trying to make the growth a little easier. And my focus is always on the team and not and making sure that we're not breaking them every week, you know, because it's it's a lot of work. My God, it's all done by hand. And it's, you know, we don't have a lot of the machinery that we need to get to make packaging easier or to make, you know, the hand shaping process easier. We don't have those things yet because they're all so expensive. Mm. So... I mean, I feel like you're on your way. It's only a matter of time. I, mean, I think it's just it's like I, what you've done up to this point. Just keeps showing up, and I hope you so. Have those goals and yeah. let the cash flow and the people determine that growth. Right? Yeah, try. Um, is there anything we haven't discussed up to this point? Um, I don't know. There's there's so much, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. Um. So one thing I do like to talk about on the yeah. podcast, we mm-hmm. kind of talked a lot about like. Where where's the industry today? How can we move into the future right. uh, more intentionally, more holistically, more mm-hmm. equitably? Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you? Like, how do we how do we go from where we are now into mm-hmm. a better industry for restaurants? Yeah, yeah, I guess what. Um, you know, I just food and beverage. Food and beverage. I just I don't know. I don't know why it's so hard. Um, my friend Vivian Howard, she. I'm kind of going to mangle her quote a little bit, but she said, "How did I take?" Two of the best things in life, two of the greatest joys I ever had of cooking, cooking for people and made such a miserable life for myself out of it. And I don't know what it is about restaurants. I don't know if it's because the public is involved at this point. The public is a little bit hard to deal with. That's like a nice way of putting it, I guess. And we're in this nice little bubble here in the factory where we just deal with each other. And so it's really, it's really nice. Well, But, you know, I just think that like, you have to just prioritize the team. You have to. Yeah. You know, and it's easy for me to say because we don't serve alcohol and we don't have, you know, we're not open for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And yeah, I also think the, that the industry has conditioned the consumer to suck so bad. Yeah. I think we, we kind of groomed them to suck because we're, yeah. we offer a lot of value for not 
asking that much. We're afraid that if we increase rates, nobody yes. will show up. Yes. We also tell them they're right all the time. And yes. we're so, we're so worried about losing their business that we let them walk. All yeah. Over and us. you know, and that's a really, it's, I understand why it's such a scary thing for people to say, but because I, I guess, can say it, <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, and I can say it too. Yeah. Um, but feels good. Doesn't it? It feels great. But you know, it's always a little bit scary to be like, Oh, go fuck off. Yeah. Um, but you know, like we don't make vegan ice cream because I haven't been able to come up with one that I think tastes really good. And I, that's just not my thing. Yeah. You know, Same we make right. a dairy free product, Refer but it, somebody who can, right. It's great because it's dairy free, but we didn't specifically go out to make, you know, certain things because the market said we should. And, you know, with certain clients and customers, oh, bird was, uh, the Cardinal has been here all week long <laughs> trying to get in the window. And, you know, they, people say it's like a, a Cardinals are somebody else's spirit of someone that's it's, passed away. Yes, that's true. My yeah. mom always talks about my grandmother whenever she sees. Yeah. Yeah. So I, what's up, Graham? Yeah. How you doing? No. Sorry. We, no. <laughs> we easily get distracted here. No, it's really okay. There's a bird. Uh, let me paint the picture. It's we're, beautiful. It's Cardinal. We're in the uh, industrial building, almost like a hangar type building. Uh, and there's this one little window in the room we're in. And there's this beautiful little silhouette of this gorgeous bird staring at us mm-hmm. right out the little. And if you were in the room, you'd be distracted too. So yeah. I don't want to hear it. No. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So let's see if we can continue. What was the <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Um, we were talking about the consumer. And oh yeah. The how consumer. You're not doing, vegan you know, ice cream. and I just, I, in a really friendly way, I, we try to say, Hey, this might not be for you. Yeah. And that's okay if it is. Yeah. You know, and but we also s- trying to be everything to everybody is a sure way. You can't do it. it and yeah. there's no point. Mm-hmm. There's no point. Like we are so niche. I mean, we make ice cream. looks like a Staying piece of fried in your fucking lane chicken. Opens up more opportunity for other people. Yes, exactly. And you know, we're not, we don't make a lot of pints because that's not really our game. We don't do a lot of this. We do a lot of that because that's just not really our game. That's not what we're at this point. Production's not set up to do certain things yeah. in the first place. And that's just not what we want to say. And that's not what we want to do. Um, you know, and that's, that's really hard. Um, and in the beginning, uh, you know, people were like, Oh, you should do this. You should do that. And there's a lot of like resistance to things, but I, I was just like, you know, no, this is what I've done. This is hopefully going to be the last thing that I work on. You know, I'm not going back to restaurants. So this has to be genuine. This has to be real. And I feel like if you do that, it's either not going to work out really quickly and you're going to know that your idea is really lame or it's going to be good and you need to lean into it. And that's what you do. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think I'm about heading to the speed round, but I want to uh, ask you one more question before you do. I'm going to echo the mission statement to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And I believe behind every great business is a great person. So how have you personally transformed over time? Oh my gosh. Um, Who are you today versus the woman you were when you got into this industry? uh, I am a much more empathetic person. Um, Yeah. And I just really believe this philosophy that when you have people on your team, you've got to take care of them as much as you can. You have to cut ties if they aren't the right fit for either you or them. And um, you can't make people do things that they're not good at. Mm -hmm. You have to lean into what they're good at and, put them on that route beautiful i've really enjoyed this one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back 
This podcast is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. As a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 plus years, Mies founder and CEO Josh Sharkey was frustrated that only the financial and inventory software was available in the kitchen. And while those are important, they don't actually address the process of cooking, training, production, collaboration, and execution. Whether you're a chef, mixologist, consultant, operator, or generally if you manage a recipe intended for professional kitchens, Mies was built just for you. Organize, share, prep, and scale your recipes like never before. Plus, get laser-accurate food costs and nutritional analysis faster than you could ever imagine. Chefs that use Mies have seen, on average, 70% reduction in training time for new staff, 20-30% to 30% less food waste and overproduction, and an average of thirty to 50000 reduction in annual cost of goods sold from their easy-to-use recipe engineering. Part of the magic in Mies is a built-in database of thousands of ingredients that have been tested by Mies chefs and registered dietitians to ensure all the yield loss when you prep an ingredient as well as the unit conversions from volume to weight to pieces are built in, not to mention automated allergen tagging to ensure you have a consolidated view of allergens and nutrition. Get started by visiting getmes.com slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z dot com forward slash unstoppable. And as a listener of Restaurant Unstoppable podcast, you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today. Revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with Mies. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. The first question is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, I just, I have a gear that other people don't. What I is, just, yeah. I can just keep going and it's just really hard to break me. What's your biggest weakness? Um, I am really impatient. Hmm. What 
is one thing you do to build your team, something you're looking for, a question you ask or a thing you look for when you're building your team. What's your favorite stupid movie? What are you looking for? Uh, I just want to see what their sense of humor is like. Why is that important? Um, because if you can't laugh at something, you're not going to fit in here because, you know, people get really, really serious about food. And they're like, oh, my God, the food's messed up. And it's like, dude, it's a future poop. We're going to throw <laughs> it away and we're going to fucking start over. And it's going to be fine. Oh, so that. if you don't have a sense of humor about it, I can't have someone crying because they scorched something or they dropped something on the floor. It's like, okay, well, we dropped on the floor. We're going to have to make more of it. Great. Let's go. Let's, let's just do this. It's not a big deal. What's your biggest challenge today? Uh, oh my gosh. Um, the funding. No, not the funding. Not really that so much. It's, it's the supply chain mm. and inflation. How are you overcoming it? Um, I am looking for alternate sources for the packaging for the products that we use. Um, hoping that prices get back to something normal. I mean, that's the other thing too. And we're going to a little bit of a caveat here, but I feel like we as a nation mm -hmm. have become so dependent on other nations yeah. for other things. Yeah. Like, why can't, like, I know why we can't keep it locally because the cost of labor in other places is way yes. cheaper. Yes. I get that. Mm -hmm. But like, is there really no other way? I don't know. Well, I, you know, it's just really hard to own a business in the States. I mean, it's just, there's, there's, there's such, there's so much I could say about it, but you know, I, yeah. I feel like, and okay, for example, in a place like France, you could have a little teeny corner ice cream shop and you can make a living doing that and you can probably go on a nice vacation, support your family. Right. You can't fucking do that in the States. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Don't be a fucking asshole. Ooh, that's a good one. And also, don't let anyone in the building be a fucking asshole to you. Mm, I dig it. What is one uncommon standard of service? So this is not necessarily, mm -hmm. maybe, usually it's for like a restaurant owner to go above and beyond guest experience, but mm -hmm. you spend so much time mm -hmm. in the restaurant industry. You must have a good one in there. Locked and loaded. Oh, I try to, you know, if people have some really wacky out there idea for some custom ice cream thing they want to have made for their 50th birthday party or whatever, I try my best to accommodate it mm -hmm. and make it because it's fun yeah, and it makes them happy and it's great to learn how to do new things. I love it. Um, I'm going to skip the question around technology because I don't okay. think that applies to you. Sure. This is the last question. Okay. It's a doozy. Oh, great. Let's do it. You ready? Yeah. If you got the news. You'd be uh -huh. leaving this world tomorrow. Oh, All boy. the memories of you, your work, and your recipes, Eesh. and your businesses mm -hmm. would be lost with their departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. Imagine oh, you're wow. paying this, you're, you're, you're leaving this behind to your children. Okay. Three pieces of wisdom that they can remember you by. Okay. What are they? Be as generous as you can possibly be with everything that you can. One. Um, don't be a fucking asshole. <laughs> Two. Don't let someone be a fucking asshole to you. Three. Great way <laughs> to get this thing wrapped up. I've loved this. And um, I found you by asking James London, who do you respect and uh, admire and believe would make a great In Charleston or? Anywhere. Okay. Well, in Charleston, um, I'm going to say Shuai Wong up the street at Jack Robert Philly. He's just so lovely. And he's my, my Asian brother and he understands what that means. Um, and Ryan's, Same last name. Is there any relation? Um, he's Wong with an A. I'm okay. Wong with an O. Got so it. I'm a different kind of Wong. Got or it. he's a different kind of Wong. I don't know. Um, Ryan Smith. Brian Smith? Ryan Smith, who's just one of my favorite people who's ever lived. Um, and my friend Elisa Gambino. Got it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'm oh, wait, one more. Melani Durant. Melani Durant at Scram. Got in it. Jersey City. Love her. Beautiful. Mm. Thank you so much. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you? I know we can't get, well, we actually can get your ice cream if we go through a distributor, right? Um, retail stores, Whole Foods. Um, we're on Gold Belly. 
Uh, if you go to our website, there is a finder on there, and you can put in your zip code, and you'll yeah. find the closest retail tre- retailer closest to you. Are you looking to grow your team? Uh, yes, always. Who are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for more production hands. I'm looking for people to help with logistics and packaging and shipping. I'm looking for people to work events. Um, I like to get the right person here and see what they're good at and then try to get them into whatever situation that is. Um, that Brendan that you met earlier, he was in production and he's a wonderful person, but he just doesn't have that production brain. But he's so personable and so charming and just gets it. Mm-hmm. So we put him into events and he's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and what's the best way to get in touch with you if you want? To make- um, you can go to our website, which is www.liferafttreats.com. And um, there's an info thing. And send us an email. Awesome. I'm taking a stab in the dark. I want to say this is episode 984. <laughs> <laughs> Give or take one digit. Mm-hmm. It's, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 984. I'll say it at the beginning of the episode. Whatever I said at the beginning of the episode, head there. And then we'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to tools or services or books recommended. Um, and um, how to connect with you. Yeah. Cynthia, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thanking you so much. Oh, super fun. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thank you. We'll cut it there. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Cynthia Wong, for getting on the show, getting real, and not holding back. And, and you know, it's one of the things. I had to kind of get real about the show is, you know, when I started, it was meant to be inspiring and empowering and to uplift people. But the truth of the matter is even the most successful people, the, the six times semifinalist dessert chef or, you know, pastry chef semifinalists, but like the, the baddest badasses in this industry feel the pain. And, that's a big reason why the mission statement isn't just to inspire and empower, but to transform, to create a better industry. So the future generations of, of hospitality and culinary professionals don't have it so shitty. And um, I loved how open and honest and on the verge of tears you were during this conversation, just getting raw and real with us. And I, I sincerely mean this. I, I hope I talk people out of this restaurant industry because it's not for everybody. And um, you help us get real. Uh, you also help us realize that there's more to this industry than you know the traditional restaurant model if you're talented if you're a specialist there's there's room for creating a business scaling it wholesale and selling it. I, I love your approach so awesome stuff unique perspectives today thank you so much cynthia and if you are enjoying this podcast and you want more episodes just like this one we need your support it's not cheap to travel across the country with a videographer I need your help and you can help us by supporting our sponsors using our affiliate links sharing this podcast with everyone you know in the restaurant industry help me get the word out there and tag me when you do so i can say thank you at restaurant unstoppable podcast is our handle on instagram and i subscribe to our youtube channel if you haven't yet sam hall is doing a great job over there creating much more condensed bite-sized versions of our content uh so thank you in advance if you do subscribe and i can't say goodbye without saying thank you to sam hall and to jared parisi at sumadre podcast for all the work you do behind the scenes with videography social media a podcast editing and copyright it takes an army it takes a team i'm so grateful for mine and that's it for today until next time peace out